Hello, and welcome to episode 31 of Sam Splaining Science. I'm Sam. I'm your host. I'll be Sam Splaining the Science. And today we're talking about COVID again. But this time we're talking about the new and improved bivalent booster. Let's get into it. Hi, everyone. How are you? I hope you're doing well. I'm doing well. Thanks for asking. Earlier this week, I got bivalently boosted. And because I didn't receive any questions or suggestions from the public this week, cough, com slash ask, cough, um, I figured that the topic of this week's episode will be about the bivalent booster. So... Let's get to the questions for this week. We have three questions this week. The first is, why do we need an updated booster? The second is, what even is the bivalent vaccine or booster? And the third is, does the bivalent booster work? And I will say, Normally, I like each episode to like stand independently on their own, but I think for this episode, it'll be very helpful if you have already listened to the Vaxxed and Boosted episode, which I think was episode 21, Um, because I'm going to talk a lot about mRNA vaccines, and a lot of the stuff that I talked about in that episode will come up again in this episode. So if you haven't listened to that one yet, maybe you should go back, listen to that one first, and then come back to this one and talk about the updates to the mRNA vaccines that we're going to talk about. Um, But if you have listened to that one, amazing. You're all prepped and ready to go. Um, (laughs) I will say that today's source for what we're going to be talking about is a paper that was published just yesterday, or as of recording yesterday, is published on September 16th in the New England Journal of Medicine from a group of scientists and physicians at Moderna, which is one of the companies that is manufacturing COVID vaccines in the U.S. So um, that source, as always, will be linked in the description of the episode, so feel free to check it out if you're interested and want to read more for yourself. Cool. So let's get into the first question, which is why do we need an updated booster? So we've been living in the age of COVID for two and a half years now, or in toddler mom units, they're 30 months, right? You know, like toddler moms are always like, oh, they're, they're 22 months. And it's like, that's basically two years, right? Just say your kid's two, whatever. Um, so we've been in COVID for two and a half years and as you may or may not be familiar with the COVID that we started with in March of 2020 is not the same COVID that we're living with right now. I kind of talked about this a bit in episode 21, if you want to go back and listen, but there are now different variants of this COVID virus. So I want to talk a little bit about variants and just maybe a little refresher on how variants come about. So each time the SARS-CoV-2 virus replicates, there's a risk that it will mutate or 
In other words, there's a risk that the genetic information, the genes of the virus, might change slightly. And with that change in genes, there's a chance that the way that the virus looks or that the way that the virus acts changes also. Some mutations that might happen might not be favorable, right? Some changes in the genes might make it harder for the virus to infect people or harder to spread in some way. And those mutations aren't advantageous, right? So they don't really stick around for that long. But sometimes the changes to the genes that happen, the mutations, can help the virus. It can be beneficial to the virus. It could make it easier to spread, easier to infect people. And those mutations promote the spread of the virus even more. So that virus will spread easier, spread to more people, spread and spread and spread until it becomes a variant of concern. Basically, a variant is just to say it comes from the original strain of the virus, but it's a little different than the original strain of the virus. And we've seen this now with COVID a couple of times, right? We've seen it with the alpha wave, the delta wave, the different Omicron waves. And it's important to note that each of these waves are caused by different variants or different strains. And each of these strains of the virus differ slightly from the original, right? So the virus itself looks different slightly across the different variants. So the whole point of getting back to the first question of why do we need an updated booster, the whole point of creating an updated vaccine is so that we can create a vaccine, an mRNA vaccine, that fits the description of a more recent variant. So the more recent variant that looks a little bit like the original strain, but also looks a little different from the original strain. So if we have this updated vaccine, we can use it to help protect us from the newer strains that are currently circulating and potentially protect us from any future variants that might come from these newer strains and might look a little similar, but a little different to Omicron, for example. So that's question one of why do we need an updated booster. The answer to why is because the times are changing and the variants are changing and we got to keep up with them. So that's question one. Question two is what is the bivalent vaccine? So the prefix bi, B-I, means two. So in terms of the bivalent vaccine, we can think of this as it has two versions of mRNA. So remember that the COVID vaccines by Moderna and also by Pfizer are mRNA vaccines. They're made up of messenger RNA or mRNA, which are essentially recipe cards on how to make a spike protein, right? So they give us instruction, the original Moderna or Pfizer vaccine gave us instructions on how to make the spike protein from the original SARS-CoV-2 strain, which is also referred to nowadays as the ancestral strain, the ancestor. 
the, the start of the family tree is that original SARS-CoV-2 virus that was around in March of 2020, right? That's what Moderna and Pfizer and all the other companies that are making vaccines based their uh, vaccine on, the genes from that original virus. So now in terms of the bivalent vaccine, we have representation of the mRNA from that original strain. That's the first of the bi. The second of the bi is now a representation from the Omicron strain. So now we'll have not only mRNA that tells us how to make the spike protein from the original SARS-CoV-2 virus, we also have mRNA that tells us how to make the spike protein from the Omicron strain, the more recent strain. And specifically, this is from the BA4 and BA5 variants. Both of those variants have very similar looking spike proteins. So the bivalent booster was based on the spike protein from the BA.4 and the BA.5 strains of COVID or of SARS-CoV-2, if we're being technical about it. Um, so this is pretty cool because uh, if you listened to the previous episode, you know that when we get the mRNA in our arms, um, our cells will start making the spike protein and our body will identify it as foreign and create an immune response and fight against it. So now when we get this bivalent vaccine, we'll make two different types of spike proteins. We'll make the original and we'll make the Omicron. And our immune systems will recognize or fight against both of them and then in turn recognize when we see either the ancestral strain or the Omicron strain. And we can get this protection from the Omicron strain without having to get Omicron, which is cool, right? For those people who haven't gotten Omicron yet, that's pretty nice that you can prep your immune system without having to get infected with it. So to summarize question two, the original vaccine, the original booster was based only on the ancestral strain of SARS-CoV-2, right? We can think of this as the OG, the original gangster vaccine dating all the way back to March of 2020. The bivalent booster contains both the ancestral strain plus the Omicron strain, and it's like a half and half. It's like the delectable combo of iced tea and lemonade, right? The Arnold Palmer of COVID vaccines is the bivalent booster. So that's question two, sort of describing what the bivalent vaccine is. So now we'll go on to question number three, which is does the bivalent booster work? So as I mentioned at the beginning, we're gonna walk through this New England Journal of Medicine article that's linked in the description below. Um, but this paper looked at the safety, reactogenicity, and immunogenicity of the new version of their original vaccine. So their original vaccine at Moderna, they called mRNA-1273. I will probably call this either the original or the ancestral, one of those two words for short, because I'm not gonna keep saying 1273. Um, no offense to the people at Moderna who chose 1273. I'm sure there was a logical reason for it, but I don't think they considered scientific communication in their 
nomenclature. Um, they're, anyway, their original booster, mRNA-1273, they're comparing it to the bivalent COVID booster, which they called mRNA-1273.214. And I'm going to call that the bivalent booster. Um, so as I mentioned, in this study, they're looking at safety, reactogenicity, and immunogenicity. And what the hell, sorry, what the heck does that mean? So I think safety, I mean, safety is probably very straightforward. Um, it's just, is the vaccine safe, right? Is it causing harm to people? Is it hurting people, right? That's safety. Reactogenicity, from my understanding, and full disclosure, I should say this before I even get into this, I am not an immunologist. I am not an epidemiologist. Like this type of data is not the data that I'm familiar with. So I am going based off of my understanding of it, which could very well be wrong, full disclosure. Um, but I don't think it's totally wrong. Like, I think I'm on the right track. Um, but <laughs> reactogenicity, from my understanding, is how the body reacts to the vaccine, right? And that's really just like side effects. So is there pain at the injection site? Is there swelling? Do I get a fever? Do I have chills? But these sort of safety and reactogenicity sort of go hand in hand, right? Because they're both looking at effects, right? If the reactogenicity is too much, right? If I get too sick from the vaccine, this is not safe, right? So I think they're sort of like similar and they report the findings together, the safety and the reactogenicity. So both of these are assessed... Um, I'm going to quote from the paper for a second. So they're assessed by solicited local and systemic reactions within seven days of booster administration. So solicited, meaning like it can be explained by the booster, uh, or it, it is obviously related to the booster in some way. And for local adverse reactions, that would be pain at the injection site or like muscle soreness. Systemic reactions would be fever, chills, headache, things that are happening away from the injection site, but still within the body. And they're looking at that up to seven days after the booster administration. But in addition to that, they're also looking at, quote, unsolicited adverse events. And those are things that might not be as obviously connected to the booster dose itself, um, but they're looking at those further out, so like 28 days after the booster. Um, so any maybe lingering effects that could potentially be caused by the booster. Um, and then they're also looking at serious adverse events um, and, you know, events that could lead to discontinuation from the study or medically attended adverse events. So like people needing to go to the hospital for some reason, um, they're keeping note of that as well in the study. So that is sort of covering the two uh, topics that they're looking at as far as safety and reactogenicity. The other thing that they're looking at in this study is the immunogenicity. And that is how specifically the immune system is reacting to the vaccine. And basically saying, does this booster cause our immune system to generate antibodies that can fight 
this specific pathogen. And the way that they measure immunogenicity is by actually taking blood samples from the participants in the study and checking the blood to see how well their antibodies are working. So they like put them through an assay, basically a test to see. They expose the immune system or they expose the blood, the immune cells in the blood to a SARS-CoV-2 spike protein that is either from ancestral or uh, Omicron strains. And then they can measure how many antibodies are recruited or activated uh, to fight that spike protein. And that tells them, it gives them a measure of what they call neutralizing antibody titers, basically a level of how many antibodies are around to like fight the spike protein. So in this study, we'll get into the study design a little bit, there's two groups because they're testing two different types of boosters, right? The first group was made up of 437 participants that received 50 micrograms of the bivalent vaccine as their second booster. So like the half and half, right? But instead of iced tea, it's the original COVID vaccine. And then instead of lemonade, it's the Omicron. And then the second group got uh, was made up of 377 participants, and they got 50 micrograms of the OG vaccine, which is like the ancestral original strain, um, as their second booster. So it's important to note here that everyone in the study had already had three shots, right? The first two shots were the primary series. If you got vaccinated for COVID, you might remember that you had a shot and then like Three or four weeks later, you got a second shot. That was like the primary series. And then there was a booster shot that was available. I mean, I got mine in like fall of last year. So um, they got their primary series plus one booster. And now they're looking at their second booster. So this is their fourth overall shot. So one group got their fourth shot as the bivalent vaccine and one group got their fourth shot as the original vaccine. And um, in this case, both groups received their second booster shot, or the shot that we're studying here, around four and a half months after their, their first booster. So blood samples were collected before they got their second booster shot, whether it was the OG or the half and half, as well as 29 days after they got their second booster shot. So they also did check-ins for side effects throughout the study. So they did like the seven days for solicited adverse events, but then they also checked in after 29 days and up until really they finished collecting data so that they could write this paper um, to just see any unsolicited adverse events that might be happening further out from the time that they got their booster shot. Um, and then they compared the outcomes, so the, the outcomes for safety and reactogenicity and the outcomes for immunogenicity between the people who were boosted with the original versus the bivalent booster. So let's check out some of the results. So if you're watching on YouTube, 
by the way, YouTube, uh, Sam Splaining Science, you can watch it there. Uh, the link is also in the episode description if you want to find it that way. Um, but if you're watching on YouTube, I'm showing a couple of the figures that were included in the paper. You can also just click the link to the paper and look at figure two is what I'm showing right now. So figure two in the paper shows the local and systemic adverse reactions and they divide them up by grade where the grade is like the severity. So they have grades one, two, and three, which are mild, moderate, and like severe in that it prevented or interfered with their daily activity. Um, and then they divide it up between local and systemic, where again, local is like nearby, right? It's near the injection. It's near where they administered the booster. And then systemic is like within your whole system. So some examples of local or the most common, I should say, the most lo common local side effect was pain at the injection site. And they cite this for people who, who got both the original, the OG vaccine, and people who got the Arnold Palmer half and half bivalent vaccine, right? So pain at the injection site was the most common for both types of vaccines, where about 76.6% of people with the original and 77.3% of people with the half and half vaccine experienced pain at the injection site. The most common adverse event systemically, so outside of the injection site, was fatigue, where 51.4% of people who got the original vaccine experienced fatigue and 54.9% of the bivalence experienced fatigue. So overall, most of the people who got either vaccine felt pain in their arm, and about half of the people who got either the vaccine felt tired. But other than that, those were the most common of the side effects. Some others that are listed for local are also like swelling, tenderness, um, and then for systemic, some other options are fever, headache, um, nausea, vomiting, chills. Um, but again, the most common in that group is uh, fatigue. So these were just the results that they showed for this, again, the safety and the reactogenicity to show that, yes, more than half of the people felt pain, but, you know, not that many people felt anything super severe. I should also mention, since I mentioned the grades, the majority of people who experienced pain, for example, had mild pain. They were grade one. And um, the amount of people who had, or the proportion of people who had severe pain was much, much lower. And that's the same for pretty much every side effect that they have listed. Um, the majority of people who reported side effects only had mild side effects, and then very few people had the more severe side effects that affected their daily life um, for a couple days for up to seven days. And um, they did note in the paper that no one had a grade four. So grade four corresponds to like emergency hospitalization, um, super severe side effect, and nobody reported any grade four events. So that was good news. So that's for the safety and the reactogenicity. So now we can move on to the immunogenicity. So 
For the immunogenicity, which again, we're looking at the reaction of the immune system, they talked about this idea of a non-inferiority criteria, where basically they wanted to make sure that the new bivalent booster isn't making a weaker immune response than the original, right? They wouldn't bother giving it to people if the bivalent booster was inferior to the original, right? In that case, they would just give us the original vaccine. They wanted to make sure that it was not inferior. And they found that that was true, that the bivalent booster was not inferior. And they found that because 100% of the participants after getting either booster had a sero response or basically an immune response in the blood, in the blood sample that they gave uh, against the ancestral strain of COVID. So no matter if they got the original booster or they got the bivalent booster, everyone had an immune reaction to the original strain of COVID 29 days after boosting. So that's great. Also, 100% of the bivalent group and 99.2% of the OG vaccine group had a sero response uh, or an immune response in the blood to the Omicron variant of the virus after 29 days after getting in this, their second booster. So in other words, the bivalent booster was not worse than the original booster at responding to the Omicron strain of the virus. So that's check. We can check off the box of the bivalent booster is not inferior to the original. Next, they looked at the results from the neutralizing antibody titers. And again, that's just the level or the amount of antibody antibodies that are in the blood that are available to, to fight uh, a particular COVID uh, spike protein. So um, figure three of the paper is showed here. If you're following along by looking at the paper, we're going to look at figure three. And we're going to take a second to sort of walk through the figure and explain what we're looking at because there's just a, it's a bar graph and there's like a ton of bars. So let's just walk through it. So there's a top panel, A, and a bottom panel, B. Um, the top panel, A, is looking at the ancestral strain of COVID, the original COVID, the SARS-CoV-2. The bottom panel, B, is looking at the response to the Omicron strain of COVID. On each of these panels, there are bar graphs where the y-axis of the bar graph is indicating the amount of antibody that was detected after uh, they mix the blood sample with either the original SARS-CoV-2 virus for the top panel or the Omicron SARS-CoV-2 for the bottom panel. Um, and then across or within each panel, there's three different groups uh, that they're reporting results for. So the first group combines all of the participants together. The middle group has the participants who did not have a previous COVID infection. And then the group on the right had, is of participants who have had a previous COVID infection. And then within each of these groups, 
those groups are divided into two. The groups who, the first group is the group who had the original strain of the vaccine. And then the second group is the group who had the bivalent vaccine. And then within each vaccine, they have levels of antibodies before the booster and then 29 days after they get the booster. Um, so it's a very informative, clearly, because I've been talking about it for nine minutes, it feels like. It's a very informative figure. But the main takeaway that I get from this, we can see that for each condition, right, regardless of whether people did or didn't have a previous infection, if we just look at all of the participants grouped together for a second, we can see that the antibody, the number of antibodies increased between the before and after booster, right? Which we expect, right? When we get a vaccine, we expect antibodies to develop, right? So the fact that there's more antibodies in the after uh, blood sample tells us that, yeah, vaccines are doing what we want them to do. They're building the antibodies, um, which is great. But I think one of the more important takeaways from this figure is that the bivalent booster, which if you're looking at the figure is shown in the dark blue bars, um, the bivalent booster had a greater immune response to Omicron than the original booster did. And again, I wanna emphasize that Omicron is the dominant strain that is circulating throughout the world right now. So the level of the immune response, which is determined by the amount of antibodies in the blood sample, can be interpreted to be the amount of protection that we have, right? The more antibodies that we have against a certain antigen, against a certain virus, the better equipped we are to fight off that virus, right? So the fact that the booster, the Omicron booster, has more antibodies after the booster than the original booster tells us that this new booster protects us better against the currently dominant strain than the old vaccine did. And I think that's the point that they're trying to get across with this figure that is very complicated. Um, but that, that's the biggest takeaway, I think, that this Omicron booster not only is not inferior to the original, but it actually puts us in a better position to fight off Omicron compared to the original. Another thing that I didn't really emphasize that I probably should is that the bivalent booster had similar antibody response to the uh, ancestral strain than did the original vaccine. So it didn't take away from fighting against the ancestral SARS-CoV-2. It was the same regardless of whether you got the original vaccine or the bivalent vaccine. But when we look at the Omicron response, it has an improved immune response to Omicron than the original vaccine did. So that's the main takeaway from this. And again, here's me beating the point to death. I was gonna say 
that phrase beating a dead horse, but that's not a nice phrase. That's a sad phrase. So I'm going to say, here's me beating the point to death. Okay. This is a big deal because this version of the vaccine provides better immune reaction, which can be interpreted as better protection against the most dominant strain of COVID that is circulating right now globally. Right? And it's promising because if Omicron BA4, BA5 mutates any further, if it has any other changes to its genes that make it even more transmissible or even more severe, maybe the spike protein will be similar enough to BA4, BA5 that this booster will be helpful in protecting us from any new versions that might come about. So that's, I think that's all I want to say. I feel like I probably lost a lot of people because I'm just ranting about how great this is. This is a very cool finding. This, this figure is a little overwhelming, but is very, very cool with the results that it shows. <sighs> Calm down, Sam. Do you remember that YouTube video of the magic sponge of the woman who was like painting with the sponge? And she had to, she got so hyped at one point she was like, calm down, D. That's me whenever I talk about science. Calm down, Sam. Just relax. No one gets as hyped as I do. And I have to remind myself of that. Um, but <laughs> all right. Just some other discussion points from the paper before we close out this episode. Um, the paper or the authors did note that some people in the study still did get COVID infections. I believe, um, so 11 participants that were assigned to the bivalent vaccine group or the bivalent booster group got COVID during the study. Um, so that's 11 people out of 437 total, which is 2.52%. And then nine people in the original booster group got COVID as well. So that was nine out of 377, which is 2.38%. So pretty much the same percentage wise of people who were participating in the booster trial got COVID as a breakthrough infection. On top of this, they noted that six of the 11 participants who got COVID in the bivalent group were asymptomatic. And then seven of the nine in the original booster group were asymptomatic. Um, all 11 of the infection, the COVID infections in the bivalent group were initial infections. So there are people who had no previous COVID infection. And then six of the people that got COVID in the original booster group were a initial infection. So that means that three of the infections in the original group were reinfections, um, which I thought was, I don't know, kind of interesting to think about. Uh, they noted that none of these infections, none of the 11 in the bivalent group or the nine in the original group led to an emergency department visit or a hospitalization, which is great news. And as of the data cutoff date, there were no deaths and no events of car um, myocarditis or pericarditis, which is inflammation of tissues in the heart, um, which have been seen with COVID infection and sometimes with COVID vaccination. Um, 
So that was good news as well, is that in this participant group, there were no deaths and no events of uh, myocarditis or pericarditis. Um, but yeah, I guess for this point, similar to what I talked about in episode 21 with the breakthrough uh, infections, is that this vaccine is not perfect, but it's good enough. It's darn good enough. Um, and if we sit around waiting for perfection, we'll all die, right? Perfection, what is that saying? It's like perfection is the enemy of progress or something like that. Progress, not perfection. Whatever. Now I'm completely off the rails. But basically what I'm trying to say is that although people might have still gotten COVID after getting a second booster, um, they didn't die from it. You know, like they were protected enough from COVID, even though they still got infected. And most of those who got infected were asymptomatic anyway. They didn't feel anything. So that's great news. Another point that they noted in the paper and they alluded to was um, that this bivalent vaccine is only being implemented as a booster dose. They haven't yet done the studies using the bivalent vaccine as the primary series. Um, so they can't really say for sure. You can, uh, you can infer, you can assume, but until there are like clinical trials that are done on using the bivalent booster as a primary series, they can't really report on things like efficacy or, you know, antibody levels and things like that because they haven't done the research for it yet. So, um, you know, if you're, if you are currently not vaccinated for COVID-19 and you'd like to be, when you go to the pharmacy, you're going to get the original uh, vaccine, which is only targeting against the original SARS-CoV-2 for your first primary series, right? Your first two shots. But then your booster, a couple months later after your uh, first primary series, will be a bivalent booster because now all booster shots that are given are going to be bivalent meaning that it protects against the original and Omicron. So just an FYI for you. Um, so that's all I wanted to share for this study. Um, but again, the paper is linked in the episode description if you want to check it out. This article is open access, open source, whatever it's called. So Hopefully, it's not behind a paywall for you, and you can actually go and check it out. Um, that's another rant for another day about how I hate when journals aren't open source. Um, but regardless, definitely check it out if you're interested. If you want to take a closer look at the figures, um, they also have a lot of tables with, like, numbers and stuff. Um, so, yeah, that's all for this study. But I do have some closing thoughts for the episode. Um, as I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, I got my bivalent booster this week. I got it on Monday. I'm recording on Saturday, so it's been six days, five days. I can count. Um, but I just wanted to share my experience, which was that it was pretty good. Um, I, this was my second booster shot. So my primary series and my first booster were actually all Moderna, but my second booster was Pfizer. It was my first time getting a Pfizer shot. Um, so actually, my vaccine, my bivalent vaccine that I got was not what we just talked about, but 
at least from like previous vaccines um, and previous vaccine studies between Pfizer and Moderna, they're like pretty on par. They both use the same mechanisms, you know, like they're close enough. I think the biggest difference between Pfizer and Moderna is that Moderna has a dose of 50 micrograms and Pfizer has a dose of 30 micrograms. So um, Moderna does have a slightly larger dose, um, but I think it, they have pretty similar efficacies. Um, and there, some people were talking about like, oh, it might be beneficial to mix and match. So if you got like a couple Moderna shots and you want to get a Pfizer booster or vice versa, that might be beneficial. Um, but this was my first Pfizer shot. I didn't really have any side effects. I did have some soreness in my arm for like two days, but that went away. And it was nothing that interfered with my day-to-day. Like I still was doing yoga and I still was like, you know, moving around. I had a little bit of fatigue, but I'm also just lazy. So (laughs) maybe I just felt tired because I was lazy. Um, But yeah, some tips. I stayed very hydrated that day in particular. Um, Like I got my vaccine in the morning and then I drank a ton of water for the rest of the day. Um, And then I also got good sleep the night before my shot and then the night that I got my shot, so the night after. So make sure that you sleep well so that you prepare your body and you give your body the time that it needs to work hard and build those antibodies to... uh, to that, that, uh, those spike proteins that are growing in your arm for a couple days. So yeah, that was my experience. And just a couple of tips. If you are going to get your booster soon, would recommend staying hydrated and getting some sleep if you can. If you're wondering where you can get your bivalent booster, every booster shot that is scheduled from like here on out, will be a a bivalent booster. So you can go to any pharmacy. I went to Walgreens, but like any local pharmacy that you have, um, even like the small like mom and pop pharmacies. I was on a walk today and I walked past like an independent pharmacy and they had a big sign that they had like Moderna shots, Moderna bivalent shots available. So wherever you go for your pharmacy, um, they'll probably have it um, depending on You know, I scheduled mine online, but my pharmacy had like tons of open slots. Some pharmacies might do a walk-in, but you can always just do a quick, easy Google search to see the status at your your spot. Um, Another thing that I wanted to mention is that you can also get your flu shot at the same time as your bivalent booster. And I've seen a couple of people do that. Um, I did not do that. I just got my bivalent booster. I'm going to get my flu shot at work. So I just got my bivalent booster, so I can't really say whether you'll have more side effects or, you know, whatever. If you get both shots at once, maybe your arm will be a little extra sore, but um, people have been doing it, and I don't think it affects the efficacy of building immunity to the flu or COVID or, you know, both. So if you want to, you can get two shots for the price of one. Two birds, one pharmacy visit, you know? Um, (laughs) but yeah, I think I, I mean, I don't want to pressure anybody do what you want, but I say, get your boost on baby. I suggest getting it. Um, especially because, you know, fall's coming, winter's coming and 
during those cooler months and those colder months, we spend more time indoors. And when we spend more time indoors, there's poorer ventilation. And when there's less ventilation, there's more COVID spread. So, uh, or more risk for COVID spread, I should say. So, um, you know, if you want to protect yourself before you're spending a lot of time indoors, definitely get boosted sooner rather than later. Um, there's also big holidays coming up, like the fall and winter holidays are approaching. So it would be nice to make sure that your Thanksgiving dinner is not a super spreader, uh, like the original Thanksgiving was. That's another conversation for another day. Um, also, like, I feel like this is oftentimes forgotten. Um, if you have people in your life who are high risk for severe COVID, um, getting vaccinated and wearing your mask are very easy ways to protect those people who are either immunocompromised or otherwise disabled in your life. It also protects babies and small kiddos who might not be vaccinated yet. So um, definitely would recommend uh, getting the booster if you haven't yet. I've also been reading, and I probably should have mentioned this earlier, um, some people are saying to get the boost, if you've just had COVID, like last month, you can probably wait up to like three or four months to get your booster. Um, so like basically use the immunity that you'll get from being infected for a couple months and then get your booster like three to four months after, um, after you've been infected. So I had COVID in May and I just got boosted in September. So, um, but I think that makes sense. I think your booster probably won't be as effective as it could be if you get boosted right after you get over COVID. Even though the CDC says that you can get your booster shot right after you recover, um, it might uh, be more beneficial for your immune response to hold off for a little while. Um, yeah. I should have shown some data. I don't know if there is data on that, though. Maybe I won't even mention it. <laughs> Forget I said anything. <laughs> Not the whole episode, just that little, just that little snippet, because I don't have any data to show to support it. Um, I just follow a lot of science communicators on Instagram, and that's what they were saying. And I trust literally everything that they say. So, um, <laughs> but, yeah. All right. That's all my closing thoughts for this episode. Get your boost on, baby, if that's what you choose. But I suggest that you choose it because it, it definitely will help more than it could possibly hurt. All right, that's all for this week. Please don't forget to follow, rate, and review the podcast wherever you're listening. You can also subscribe on YouTube, please. You can also follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at SamSplainingSci. Connect with me there and ask questions if you'd like. You can also submit questions at samsplainingscience.com slash ask. So if you have anything that you want Sam Splain to you, ask away. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I hope you learned a little bit and laughed a little bit, and I will talk to you next time. Bye.